Hello and welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. It's so great to have you as part of my listening crowd. As always, as you're listening to either the story being told or the conversation with the special guests that I have, would you pray and ask um, who the Holy Spirit would have you share this program with? I just, I believe and I've seen how the kingdom of God is always bringing light to people around us. And one of the ways that that the Holy Spirit works through that is by pursuing people uh, through all kinds of communication, through stories, uh, through maybe just an encouraging word. And wouldn't that be just a fantastic way for us to bless another person, but to say, hey, you know, I thought about you when I heard this. And I would appreciate you helping me grow this podcast in any way that you can. So thank you in advance for any help. So let me introduce our special guest today um, before uh, you hear uh, chapter 15 of the parable. Uh, Dr. Sarah Thomas Baldwin serves as the Vice President for Student Development at Asbury University in Central Kentucky. And Brad and I had the privilege of knowing Sarah and her husband Clint uh, for several years while they were working here at George Fox University. But Sarah um, is a graduate of Asbury, and she actually earned her doctorate of ministry here um, at Portland Seminary. So today, Sarah and I are going to talk about her passion, which is um, how do we cultivate uh, the ability, the discernment to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? How do we discern between the voice of condemnation and the voice of conviction? How do we move from a brokenness to a belovedness. So I think you're going to absolutely enjoy uh, hearing our conversation. So sit back, um, relax, let the word of God, let the people of God just bless you today. So here we go with chapter 15 of the parable and then with Sarah. Welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Chapter 15. Ever since Amy and David's confrontation in the living room last night, David kept replaying his own words and he found himself longing to say it better. He wasn't putting into words how he really felt. Something held him back as if he knew deep inside that if his own wife witnessed his raw, vulnerable self, she would hold it over him. He forced his thoughts to the back of his mind when he realized he wanted something or someone to fight for him, to stand with him to be for him. But he knew better than to let such a desire test him. As quickly as it rose up, he willed himself to take hold of that desire. He was relieved that Diane agreed for a longer session today as she offered him a safe and brave space to let his guard down. David, do you want to start with the facts of what happened with Amy? Sure. Well, Amy was in a lawsuit and kept it from me for the past 18 months. She confessed that she used our savings, and when that ran out, she opened a separate credit card to incur the charges. When I asked her why she hadn't told me, she looked directly at me and said she dreaded my reaction and wasn't confident I could handle the truth. As David spoke, the rage awoke within him as tears slid from his eyes. She accused me of not being fully present to her. I'm so sorry, David. Diane genuinely looked as if she could feel how he felt. Do you remember what the Spirit spoke to you when you were standing in your closet? Well, that I'm only looking at the surface of things. Well, do you think in this way 
You have only been looking at the surface of how you've been living your daily life at home? Is it possible? David stood up and looked out the window as he spoke. Amy left me alone years ago. She hasn't been my support when I needed her. Turning back to Diane, he whispered, And now she accuses me of not being there for her or saying she was afraid of my anger? But where was she when I desperately wanted to be seen for who I am, just me, not someone she wanted me to be? Diane began listening to David with one ear on him and one ear on the spirit as she recognized that he was very close to unlocking a closed door in his heart, a door that had been sealed shut for two, maybe one decade, the very door that caused him to believe he walked away from his faith. Can you remember a time, David, in your life when the support you're describing was true for you and Amy or true just for you? David thought for a moment and looked back over their 10-year marriage. In the early years, there was a sense of not being so alone or on their own. He couldn't quite say why, but there definitely was a difference. Shaking his head, he said to Diana, I feel so resentful toward Amy right now that I cannot possibly imagine how this is part of my spiritual journey. Diane leaned in. God sees from a different perspective and he's asking you, do you want to know me better? I believe he knows you so intimately, David, that he knows this need you are longing for, this need for real strength. In the quiet of the room, David acknowledged to himself that he heard in his spirit, I will never leave you, just moments before Amy came home. He took a chance and confessed something to Diane that he'd never said aloud before. Diane, I feel like I'm at a crossroads of listening to two or three different voices. The voices of failure and the voices of shame are constantly keeping me locked in a state of resentment. And the voice of love keeps quietly calling out my name. David, hold on just a moment. You have penetrated the surface of things, and now I hear your most authentic voice talking. Resentment is you expecting an unrealistic strength from something or someone, and it never comes through. From, from whom or, or what did you expect unrealistically? Can you name it? David's words came out of his mouth before he formed his thoughts. I sometimes believe my presence is stronger than anyone else's. Diane looked at him again. Is that including God's presence? David nodded. Yes. David, you can confess this to God, this fake strength, and as you do, You're inviting him to work in your life beyond the surface of things. Um, but, But what about the way Amy manipulated me in the past year and a half? How will I deal with all of this again without the old feelings of devastating shame? You're sounding detached, David, and think about the false narrative you're telling yourself. At this point on your spiritual journey, Every step you take away from Amy is you running from God's presence. Once again, David saw the choices in front of him. Talking this way, speaking from his most authentic self with Diane, gave him bursts of courage to say yes to God. 
From this vantage point, he could see clearly. From this height on the mountain, he had a strange sense of being wanted, watched over, as if someone were pursuing him. For the first time in years, David didn't want to sit in darkness any longer. His circumstances hadn't changed. In fact, they'd only gotten worse. Yet on this journey, he was not only finding out that God wanted him, he was discovering something he avoided for far too long. David was on the brink of discovering his most authentic self with God's perspective of him. One thing he was confident about, he never wanted to go back the way he came. What he didn't know is if that included Amy in the future or not. How could he ever feel beloved by her after all her selfish, selfish ways? He shook his head of the thoughts. The pain was like a fire waiting to spread, and he certainly didn't want to provide the fuel. Well, welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Today I have with us a very special guest and a dear friend for Sarah Baldwin. Before I formally introduce you, how long have we known one another? Okay, so I think Pam, it's been since 2005. So we're going on like 16 years. <laughs> that, that's incredible. I mean, that's that, incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Well, wow. friends, welcome. This is Dr. Sarah Thomas Baldwin. I call her Sarah, uh, but I knew her before and after uh, the doctorate. But Sarah, um, as I introduce you uh, to my listeners, I just thought it would be awesome if you could tell us about your current role, like where did you attend uh, university? And then we'll go from there talking about your face. So welcome to the show. Oh, Pam, I'm so glad to get to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for the ministry through this podcast. So I currently serve at a small Christian university in central Kentucky called Asbury University. And I've really spent my whole adult life in Christian higher education. I've been in for four different institutions. And so I'm thankful that I've gotten to journey with university students and seminary students throughout my life. And now I'm continuing to serve in this capacity. But what is your actual role? What's your actual title? I'm, okay, I'm the Vice President of Student Development and Dean of Students. So I'm all things student affairs, all things students. Yep. everything in university life that has to do with students. You know a little bit about this role, Pam. Well, I do. I was going to say you're actually Brad's position, right? At, yeah, we're counterparts. Yeah. <laughs> now, and just a little background, how Sarah and I and Clint met, how Brad and I met Sarah and Clint, and she as she said in 2005, was when Sarah came out to work as, as George Fox University's campus pastor. So, so that's how we met all those years ago. And we have all those connections. Our girls are good friends. And so we're we're going to be lifetime eternal heaven through each other in heaven but anyway that's a great gift yeah so sarah um i thought it'd be interesting if you wanted to give us a brief um idea of what your faith journey was like growing up um and like at what point do you remember you know identifying yourself as a christian mm -hmm. yeah thanks for the opportunity to reflect on it uh, i grew up in a family of faith and so from a very young age, 
I was discipled and invited into the family of God. The time that I remember making a commitment was at age nine at a summer camp. Uh, but the time that feels most pivotal in my life, I believe I was age 12 and it was at a revival service at an altar call. And I, I believe it happened during the month of March because I remember the woman who prayed with me said, write this date down, write this date down. So I think it was something, it was in March. I can't remember the actual day. So I think I did go home though and write it in my Bible like she told me to. Uh, so throughout my childhood and adolescence, uh, I was very spiritually sensitive. I was really um, aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I was incredibly fortunate to have mostly women, but women and men who invested in my life through discipleship and mentoring. Um, I had throughout my teenager years and into college, um, I had a lot of um, guilt and shame around my spirituality, a lot of not being good enough or not getting it right. And I spent a lot of time and energy getting it right. And some of that was my upbringing and my own spiritual heritage that just came out of a more legalistic, it kind of, you got to check off the boxes. And some of my disciples who really in many ways, modeled a wonderful, winsome, compelling Jesus life. Also, were very, uh, very systematic in their approach to faith, and and I think that how that intertwined with my own personality created some elements of shame. So, really, in my twenties, just a second. Yeah, you said two things that I that I want you to, to identify for my listeners. You said yeah. you had a lot of discipling going on. Mm, I did. So for my younger listeners, what did that look like? Yeah, I realize now what an incredible gift it was to me. Um, you know, it looked, I have some really distinct memories in my middle school years of actually uh, meeting with older women for the purpose of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And whether that was me or me and a friend or in a small group, it was like a weekly time to share about how God was present in our lives to share prayer requests and also to reflect on scripture. And there was a bit of a teaching component to it. And then as I moved on through and went into college again, I look back on some significant disciples, mentors. A lot of that was one-on-one -on -one or one on a very small group. And it was very intentional around like, how was I growing in my faith? What were the challenges? How was I hearing God? And it was listening to them too talk about how they experienced God. And I, I really was in, incredibly uh, blessed to have people around me that had deep relationships with Jesus. And that gave me a really um, a deep understanding of what that could be for me. Hmm. That's pretty profound mm -hmm. to have that. It's unusual. I realize now it was, it is very unusual and has changed and shaped my life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you the confidence, so to speak, to talk about some of the things that you mentioned here about you were, you were about to, you were about to go into yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> that for a minute. Yeah. And feel free to stop me if you have any questions along the way, but uh, I would, I call the decade of the, my 20s really my movement from law to love. And as I said a moment ago, uh, I was in a, a very loving discipleship community between my family and church and people that spoke into my life. 
my life, but it was also a lot of emphasis on getting it right and checking off the boxes and um, some emphasis on really completing spiritual disciplines in a very structured format. Like I had checklists I was completing, <laughs> but my own personality uh, is really prone to perfectionism, performance and pleasing. And so when you connected my own areas of brokenness and my own desire to perform and be perfect and achieve with a, a faith that had these uh, components that lean towards legalism, it was really messy for me. And so I got really trapped in like a guilt, law, shame, triangle mess. Let me just stop you for a second, Sarah, because two things. One is just yesterday I was teaching on the, our picture of the gospel. And one yeah. of the pictures is the gospel of sin management. Mm, so, so, yeah. so can you talk a little bit, because you even said earlier, oh, you know, I, I struggled a lot, a lot of guilt around my faith. So can mm -hmm. you give me an instance? Like, what did that, what did that feel like or look like on your, in your life? Oh yeah, I can. Uh, you know, it meant that I can give you two ways I would say that. I mean, one, and this almost seems so silly and foreign to me now, but like, I would really feel shame and guilt about not doing things like reading my Bible every day and not following like a kind of a structured habits of prayer and Bible reading. And now I feel so free from that that I can't even like imagine what that was. But, you know, so I would feel guilt and shame and kind of down on myself. And the other was like um, in times when I made mistakes and sinned, you know, like did lied or, uh, you know, made choices that were not helping me be who God was calling me to be. I would feel really crushing shame from that to the point of like waves of shame coming over me. Um, when I would have like a memory about like something I said or something I did, or, uh, what someone could have thought of me for what I said or did that maybe wasn't like the perfect Christian thing to do. And so it didn't necessarily, I mean, it could have been something that was really awful that I did because there were things, or it could have been a small thing, but I just, there was like the shame component, this feeling of like, I'm, I mean, that I'm not, that I'm really like bad. And I mean, it was really de debilitating almost, right? I, I wanted to hide. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to later on how you distinguish between, a, you know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit compared to this voice of shame. We'll talk about that later, but that's really good that you you said that that's no, is that no longer part of your journey? You know, um, I, I would say, I was, yeah, it's not. Like, I have incredible victory. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really, really, the Lord has redeemed that in my life, and I do really feel free from shame and free from that kind of guilt and that power over me. I mean, that isn't to say that like um, perfectionism and pleasing and performance don't rear their heads and I, and I am, have to respond to that, but I don't, I don't feel shackled to shame in the way that I did. Like the Holy Spirit has been at work in my life and I do have victory over that. Yes. That's, that's wonderful. So how has your faith transformed and changed or, or, or what you believed since your those, that decade of your twenties? Yeah, well, how yeah. old are Sarah? I'm 48. Yeah. So this oh. is a while ago. 
somewhere in your early 30s. So I know. Still that age. Yeah. I know. Can you believe that? <laughs> I tell you how old I am, but you know. But anyway, go ahead. You know, um, there are several things that I look back on. I mean, one was really, truly the Holy Spirit responding to my prayer. And I did a lot of journaling and I still do, but I did a lot of journaling, a lot of conversation with God. And I got real, I think part of it was getting clear on like what, what was holding, you know, what was holding me back and this perfectionism, performance, pleasing. And I remember, I mean, I was in the bathtub <laughs> and I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, it is not about your perfectionism. It's about my power. It's not about your performance. It's about my promise. And it's not about your pleasing. It's about my presence in your life. And it was, I mean, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So some of it is the, was the Holy Spirit, me recognizing the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, another is some authors, particularly Henry Nowen, who shepherded me through that journey. And I recommend his book, the inner voice of love was incredibly helpful for me. So his, his book was really, his books were really people along the spiritual journey who did two things. They, um, they demonstrated a life that was lived in grace. And secondly, they spoke those words of truth to me. And uh, that was very powerful in my life when I had people say to me, that's not true. Like that's not who you are, or that doesn't define you. So I would say that a combination of those things really helped me. And also just the journey, the spiritual journey, it just took time. It took time to grow. Which, which is a truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that is part of our, our sanctification. It takes time. It and, takes time. Um, so your life, Sarah, um, as I've known you, um, has built primarily around college students and Christian university campuses. Um, I, I just think it would be great for our, for you to talk about what are some of the two or three significant cultural shifts that surprised you, um, or are there differences in the way young people are living out their faith today? I, you know, I, it's a loaded question, but I really, uh, this was really the heart of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because you've, you know, you've kind of grown up with them, right? I mean, yes, it's true. And yeah. being the campus pastor, you shepherded them and you helped other yeah. Mentors. So, so what are your, what's happening? Yeah. Oh, what a fun and interesting, challenging question that is. The first I would say is that the Holy Spirit is still at work in emerging adults. And I see young people continuing to experience God, to con continue to be called by God and to have incredible, earnest and vibrant relationships with Jesus. So that, and, and I see the Holy Spirit pursuing them. I also would say that this uh, age group throughout time has a beautiful sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And uh, when you look through scripture, so I would see this as being transcultural and across time, that um, when you look at the characters of scripture, like let's say Joseph and Isaac and Ruth and Mary, you see this sweet time in their lives before they took on all the obligations of adulthood where they were open to the movement of God in their life in a unique way. And if you think about Mary, you know, before she became a mother, before she became <laughs> this pivotal character in the story of Jesus, I mean, 
she was ready to hear the Holy Spirit in a really uh, special and unique way. And I see that in our students, like they continue to have this pause before they take on all of the responsibilities of adulthood, where they are really uh, have it have, I guess, perhaps it's like space to listen. Anyway, so I still see that that's the that's what's consistent to me, I would say what's different is um, our students since I've been working in Christian higher ed, that is my frame of reference, but our students are, you know, they're not biblically literate. They have not been discipled. They have not had the church experiences that I did, even if they grew up in the church. Would you say it's true from living in the West Coast and going back to the mid yeah. are you Midwest, South, what are you, Southeast? Um, we're like mid-continent, but I mean, <laughs> slightly South. <laughs> Would you say that's the same? I mean, we're in the Bible Belt, for, so that's different than the West Coast. But I would say what's different is when I was in Oregon, there would I would encounter quite a few people that had no religious memory. Like they didn't have like, you know, this is the church my parents went to or my grandparents, or I went to church when I was a kid. And here where I'm at in the Bible Belt, there still is a religious memory. Like people will say, oh yeah, my grandma's church, or I grew up in church. So we're, we're not quite as removed as a culture, but saying all of that, I would still say that across the board, students have not had, they have not, really haven't been discipled in the church. So for whatever reason, they, they arrive without a lot of, knowledge or real understanding about the bible and they're very um they're they're very motivated by you know experience which is a powerful thing but right now experience and authenticity are our highest moral values as a culture and so when you combine that into how they understand spirituality it becomes a pretty anchorless spirituality if it's only about my authentic journey, like how real can I be? Right. And if it's only about like my experience, mm -hmm. then we don't have a lot of, you know, ways to like understand ourselves in light of God's work in the world. It's just me. <laughs> well, help me understand something because when you became a believer as a young person and you started practicing the, the habits or the spiritual disciplines, you still needed those to grow, correct? Or yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in a way, would you say the pendulum has swung? You left from feeling like those were boxes you had to check off, to now nobody, th you know, it's kind of a free for all spiritually. Absolutely. So, like for me, I was moving out of like feeling like this is like it's like this is the way you do it. You have to check off the boxes, and now I'm encountering there are no boxes. There are no boxes. <laughs> There's no like real teaching on like this is what to do or how to grow and so yeah like it's like taking on this well okay let's let's talk about how scripture is actually this a relationship with scripture is a guide of your life let's what does that look like so there's just not any kind very little understanding so is there any impact of that oh yeah um i i, I think it's um, well, I mean, it's, it, it becomes like we're, we, when we don't have anchor points, I mean, I, I think we become free floating, right? So we don't have ways to process who we are and how we're understanding faith other than the experience of me and my friends, yeah. which is really limiting, you know, like if we don't have 
people and we don't have like people that are spiritually mature and we don't have practices that ground us, then um, those actually, there's so much freedom in having like, like space that is like anchored and rooted in something that's not just me and my friends. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, you're, in a way you're talking about, it's an oxymoron, but we need it. Yeah. You know, true freedom yeah. isn't just freedom to what? I mean, you, you're freedom to a person and how do we? So that's really Absolutely. good, Sarah. Um, yeah. uh, so much we could talk about. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much there. Because we share that passion for yeah. mentoring and discipling and teaching scripture to, to younger people. And it's been so much a part of your life, Pam, and I've learned that from you exactly too. From you, and and it's really what I wrote my book about for mm -hmm. was for mentoring women. But now I'm like, I wish I would have been for men and women because it's not just a, a woman issue. But but just shifting a little because you're you're not only a spiritual mother to the to the college students, but yeah, you're yeah. A, a biological mother, and you have your own children, and what a gift! And I got to witness that as well. Yes. Um, so how have your own children shaped your faith? And I, I was hoping that you would be willing to open up and be vulnerable and mm -hmm. share and talk about, um, I love all of your children, um, Maddie and Kai, but Emily. Uh, yes, yeah. My house when you, I don't know. Oh you my remember. goodness, Pam. Oh, we have so much to talk about in that. Yeah, it's true. Talk a little well, bit about your journey with Emily and face and, and just talk about her because my listeners don't know anything about her, so. Right, right. Well, yes, I do have two older children, Maddie and Kai. And um, Kai's story is also pretty interesting because Clint and I um, really struggled with infertility for 10 years. I learned so much about how to pray during that time. Mm -hmm. And then Kai surprised us. And we thought that was God's biggest surprise. Just kidding. God had an even bigger surprise for us. And that was sweet Emily. And Emily showed up in my life at age 44. Can you believe this? And was, uh, so I was unexpectedly pregnant, so excited and happy. And I was actually in Oregon visiting Pam and visiting some other people when I got a phone call from my midwife. I was really newly pregnant. So this was pretty early on. And she said, I want you to know that you are having a girl and that she has Down syndrome. And I was in, I was very much in shock, so much in shock. I couldn't talk about it. I was really just in shutdown in grief and emotional response and all the things and an anger and not really anger. I was angry for Emily. I just was like, why Lord would you give this little one such a hard journey? Like what? That's so unfair. I didn't know anything about Down syndrome at the time. So everything, uh, so I, now I have a lot more understanding and ways to kind of process, but at the time I just really experienced a lot of grief and, uh, you know, th it, that's a long story and journey, but I would say that, um, the Holy spirit really has given us a wonderful gift in Emily. And actually, I don't really think about her having down syndrome very much anymore because she's just Emily and she's a phenomenal smart and sassy little girl, uh, but it did really challenge some of my deep core beliefs. And, and Pam, you know, I was talking about that performance and perfectionism and it, and it challenged like, what do I really believe about humans? Like mm -hmm. in my whole life has been about 
helping students get college degrees and helping prepare them to be leaders for the world and influencers. And, and then all of a sudden I was like, well, what if Emily won't go to college? What if she won't get a degree? Like, what if she doesn't learn like that? What if she never has a job that, that she will find success according to the world in? Mm. And it, it really turned me inside out and I'm sure it's still in the process of doing that. But do I, what do I really believe about who we are inside of us and what God thinks of us? And I do believe, I do believe that we are the beloved made in the image of God. And there's nothing that we can do to earn that. There's nothing that we can do to take that away. And there's no achievement or contribution that makes us more special or more holy or more worthy. And so that's been an, a really significant um, turning point for me just to really deeply own what I have believed to be true and to celebrate the belovedness of each person. And then also to begin to recognize like the beauty that I, I think I'm already like at a different spot with other people in like, by that. well, I, you know, I would never have uh, qualified myself as like being judgmental or like mm. uh, having like high standards. You know, I've always felt like I was a gracious person and that God had given me that grace to both receive and give in life, but it has pushed me to be like, wow, I really do think that I have held certain achievements in higher esteem than others as far as like, oh, that's a, that's a bigger and better contribution. And somehow more, and I've taken on some of those worldly ideas of success instead of really listening to Jesus who that is not the way of the cross. So it's, it's helped me. I'm really, and listening to you, Sarah, I just really feel this sense of circling in, in your life of like, even from your earlier years, there was this message of belovedness and, mm -hmm. and, um, and it's as if that message of your life just came full uh, circle with Emily. Oh yeah, it did. You were right. It's still unfolding. Yeah. It is like the message of belovedness. Wow. has been a huge theme in my life. Hmm. And and you believe you know, that wholeheartedly, don't you? I do. Yeah. It's been, uh, yeah, the journey of disability has been, it is, it is the journey I didn't know that I needed. Well, and like, can you give an example of what you yeah. need? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have aspired to doing hard things in life <laughs> and to being someone who holds other people up and who carries big responsibilities and obligations. And that's a lot of my identity. Mm -hmm. And then um, I've realized that when Emily joined our family and my life, then I have now become part of a vulnerable group in the sense of I'm not in a place of power when I am with Emily. I'm in a place of vulnerability. So for instance, she had to get her hair cut the other day. And so what that means, <laughs> so for, I know <laughs> what that means for me is that I talk to the hairdresser ahead of time and okay, so when can I come when there won't be anyone else there and Emily's going to cry and she's not going to be happy about it and she's not going to wear a mask and she's going to you know, I'm going to have to hold her. Are you okay with it? Are you okay with it? And I thought, I just hate that. Like, I hate being the one that needs the special accommodation. Like, like, I don't like to have to be in that position, but you know what? That is a wonderful position for me to be in, like to be in a place of vulnerability of like, would, like where I'm 
constantly having to be like, okay, I'm a little bit on the outside here. And a lot of the world feels like on the outside, like how can I learn from this and learn what it means to, to not be at the center and not to be at with, in a place of power and to power. be entering That's in so a place beautiful. of ability. Well, it's hard work. <laughs> well, it is hard work, but in a sense, it sounds, it's exactly what it feels like our call that Jesus, he's invites yeah. us to this, but we don't want it. I know. I, yeah, I, I truly can say that, um, yeah, our journey with Emily and she's had a lot of medical challenges. So beyond down syndrome. So we've, we've had, a, we've held a lot with her. Jesus has been really faithful to us in it, but it's been hard. I, I really do think I, it's like, it's like, I feel like this is our capstone course. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm learning so much more than I ever thought I would about belovedness, about vulnerability, about sacrifice, about the way of Jesus. So thanks be to God. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we move along just a little bit here, Sarah, you know, I, my whole like heartbeat in doing this, this podcast, right. And, and my desire to, to sort of come alongside people who are like struggling with their faith, or maybe they don't understand things with faith, or like you said, just didn't grow up with that kind of discipling. Um, you know, I wrote a parable. And yes. so the main character of yes. my parable faces a personal crisis in his own faith journey. You know, it's in question, but he has a spiritual mentor in his life. She's yeah like this, you know, wonderful person we all wish we had all the time. But, but she suggests three choices to him to make, to turn to God, give God permission to work in his life, or just, and to discern among the voices, which we all hear. Lots of voices, which you did yes. a good job yes. Uh, yes. communicating particularly. So of those three choices, what, which do you see as the most crucial in your own life? And then also in the life of younger people. And, you know, I, I have several questions with that, but, but what's, what is this barrier that we have when it comes to, I guess, uh, answer that first question, and then I'll come to my second <laughs> Well, Pam, thank you for the, writing the parable. I really think it's, it really helps us get inside of the journey that we are all on and in different places we enter that journey, but I, I really appreciated it. And for me, in my story, um, I was very spiritually sensitive from childhood. So for me, it was more about discerning the voices than it was turning to God. Um, I, I really desired to turn to God even as a child. So discerning the voices, to me, that's a lot about spiritual maturity. And it's about the work of discipleship. So uh, we all have our own interior voice and there also is like the the voice of the enemy that wants to steal our soul and wants to deceive us and then there's the voice of the holy spirit and learning the voice of the holy spirit and you know i mean i think the way that i would explain that to people is when um when clint my husband clint we've been married for 27 years so that's a long time so over time right? Like when Clint walks through the door, I can tell if it's Clint or my daughter, Maddie, right? Or I can tell by his whistle. I can even tell by, uh, you know, I just need like one word. I can even tell by a, a, a two word text. Oh, that's from Clint, right? Sounds <laughs> so, the way the door shuts. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, over time, you recognize how a person shows up in the world and you recognize who they are. So, 
you know, I remember one time when we were at George Fox, right, with you and Brad, Pam, I remember a student had Clint for a class and they passed me and they were like, Clint just said this and this and this in class. And as I was listening, I was like, that's not what Clint said. <laughs> I can tell you that really? that isn't actually what he believes. He must, there must've been some sort of misunderstanding, like either he misspoke or you misheard because I know Clint and I know that is not what he thinks. So, and that's a human example, right? I mean, obviously I can make mistakes about Clint can make mistakes, but it is so much more like that with the Holy Spirit. When you journey with the Lord over time, and ideally you have spiritual mentors who will who know and have listened to the voice of God over time, you begin to recognize what is God and what is not. Mm -hmm. That isn't something that just happens instantaneously, although I believe it could, but I think it, it takes time and it, and having a guide or having spiritually mature people around you to help you discern is really, really important. Okay. But for just, let's go back to what you said earlier, that there was that voice of, you know, guilt for you. Mm -hmm. How did you, when did you start hearing and how did you know that that was not the Holy Spirit? Two, two significant ways. Um, one is, is that the Holy Spirit convicts, but does not condemn. Mm. So whenever um, I would experience like this sense of that is whatever I did or whatever happened, like that was not the choice that I was called to do, you know, like there was, I, I had made a detour, I made a mistake, or I had done something willfully or whatever it may be. Even now this happens, right? It's not like I've totally graduated. <laughs> Even now, like, like I'll have that sense of like, oh, okay. Um, and, but when it's the Holy Spirit, it always comes with invitation to be more of who you are called to be. Mm. is always with invitation to know more of Jesus. So it's like, it's like a, you know, that, that is, that, that isn't representative of you or representative of God. Like that was a detour. It's not, um, it's not a shaming voice that says you were bad. You were, why, how could you have done that? How could you have thought that? Like, I can't believe that would be you. I mean, the Holy spirit always in brings conviction with invitation. With invitation. I like that. And what else? What else would you say? Um, what else would I say about the voice? I think, um, you know, I think it's also with that sense of belovedness mm -hmm. that it's, it's about um, loving God more and being more filled up with God. This has been a really helpful change in my mind. Like uh, I remember when I was perhaps like in my early twenties, I remember praying and and I had this vision of myself um, and I, and all the things that I had done wrong, or all the things I wanted to forget, I had left behind me on the road. And when I looked down at myself, I was full of holes. Hmm. And in my vision, the Holy Spirit came alongside of me and took each thing behind me and put it back hmm. and said, um, Sarah, like what I do is I redeem you. I don't take you apart. That's and, you know, that's really helped me as I've moved forward that God is in the work of redeeming me and changing me, but, but uh, not cutting me apart and discarding parts of me that aren't worthy or fit. That's beautiful. So what is our greatest barrier to discerning the voices we listen to today? Especially we're talking about, you know, 
people who are in a diff- grew up differently than us. What do you think, Sarah? Wow, Pam, I would love to hear what you think on that. We have a great conversation well, about I that. I ask you because I, I do, I think we can discuss it. Let me hear from you and I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of referenced it a little bit before that um, we've kind of, we've placed like this idea of messy authenticity as like our, like a, the, a high cultural moral value, <laughs> like yeah. above all else, perhaps like how messy and how real in quotes can you be? And that is somehow a value above actually choosing the ways of God. And, and sometimes they are connected. I'm not saying that, you know, sharing and being honest, but I is not very important because it is, but I think, uh, in our culture right now, like everything is on display because of our publicness of our social media. But I, I really think confession and testimony is for the people that we walk closely with. And that, uh, and that putting, it's almost like we're celebrating the ways that we're falling apart. And I, <laughs> I appreciate that we need, I, and I, I know there is a place for us to yeah. be honest and yeah. say like, okay, I don't have everything together. Or this is something I'm struggling with. Absolutely. But there is this kind of cultural ideal of like, well, how messy and vulnerable can we be in a way that celebrates it? So that is something that I think it confuses the voices for us because actually what we want to celebrate is wholeness. And the journey of like forgiveness and confession, but we don't necessarily need to like see who is the most messy. (laughs) Right, right. And and that's so good because what's happened is then when you don't reveal all of that all the time, people question your, well, they're not being real. Right, right. Which I mean, I don't know that we've ever been called to be real like to tell everything to everyone. I mean, we're that's called not to, wisdom. That's not wisdom and that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not the, the way that um, where you actually grow and change. Um, I, I think the other thing is it goes along with that. And Pam, you talked about sanctification and I don't think we know about sanctification anymore. So we talk about like, you know, becoming a Christian, asking Jesus into our heart or being born again or whatever that, whatever the language is, but then we don't talk about that. You know what? You actually can have victory over sin. Like you actually don't have to be controlled by sin anymore. You don't have to live in your mess. Like the Holy spirit wants to change you and transform you. And, and we we don't get into that part of it. So I think that is something that we're missing. So good, Sarah. Again, the gospel uh, for fun. I did a little Google search and I typed in how some of our well-known speakers and teachers are defining the gospel. And several times I have to say, I don't think it was, it's not that it wasn't right. They used mm-hmm. the right language, but it, it fell short for, for what I was, how I was needing to use that. And so doing my own little research on what is the gospel, I would say that we've, that what is keeping us from discerning the voices, and I wonder if you agree or disagree with this, um, is that we're no longer understanding that there's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. Wow, keep Which going. Again, while I why I did kind of the voices of love and and deceit in my parable, mm-hmm. but in other words, what what you just said is, is is so good. We don't have to live in the kingdom of darkness. In fact, we've been rescued from it. Amen. Somebody, yeah, so that we didn't have to. But we do have to 
like do something to, to live it out. I mean, in other words, it is our gift, but we're not taking the gift. We're not right. taking the gift of living in this kingdom of light. And so uh, just to, to, tap, to bring it all together, I was watching and listening to The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Oh yeah, I've seen that, yeah. And at the very, very end, the commentator or one, I can't remember who, if he was the one of the Facebook or the Instagram founders said, we no longer know what is truth. Mm. And that was said yeah. out of the mouth. He didn't even, and that's what I would say. Uh, oh, yeah. We've reduced truth, which you would say this. Yeah. This is my truth. Yeah. Yeah. Which is totally, which it is such so interesting because we think that's going to set us free. Like we think, right, that if like, if we own the truth and we're like, this is my truth, this is my experience, that then we will experience all of this freedom that somehow we don't have, but that is not actually what happens. <laughs> right? Like, so, so bringing all of this together, um, this is how I would love to end our time. I'd love for us to pray. Okay. Um, and to, uh, ask for those who are listening and for those who are influenced by the podcast to enter into the, you know, to recognize God's kingdom and to have that true freedom, which is to a person, you know, yes. not to a set of rules or, and you did Your such relationship a relationship with Jesus. Relationship yeah. with Jesus. So relationship. I, I just really want to, um, um, why don't you start off praying? Okay. Oh yeah, that sounds good. All right. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for the, the listeners that are listening to this today throughout time as it's posted, Lord. And I ask God that you would speak into their lives, into their unique situation in the way that only your Holy Spirit can. I pray that you would open up their ears, open up their minds, open up their hearts to you, to what, to what you want to do in your, in their lives, to the transformation you want to bring to the healing and wholeness. I ask Lord that you would give them spiritually sensitive ears to discern what is um, not of you and what is of you, that you would give them a hunger and thirst for righteousness and a hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Jesus, I pray that you would seek out, that they would seek you out, that they would have such a desire to know you more. Uh, Lord, we know that each person that we need a community, we need people that, um, are ahead of us on the journey, that are beside us, and that are also um, following us on the journey. We need all of those people in our lives. I pray God for those who today really need a spiritual mentor, uh, mm -hmm. that you would bring that person into their lives, that they could recognize uh, someone who has experienced you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And Father, as we conclude this time together, Father God, Holy Spirit, and Lord Jesus, you are so welcome into this place. And I'm envisioning the listeners right now, God, and there, each person out there, God is looking to you. And I ask that you would open their eyes to the kingdom of God, that they would see um, your goodness, that you would strengthen them, that you'd give them patience. And I plead with you to give them wisdom, God, in their spiritual growth. God bless Sarah and her work as she goes on in this day. Thank you and anoint this conversation, Lord, for eternal purposes in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, Sarah, thanks so much for being with us. Um, it's a joy and I can't wait to have you back again. Thanks, Pam. What a great gift. <laughs>